This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. The next time the ball. Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Call it a statement. I've heard some say it was the greatest win in Oregon program history. I'm not going to go that far, but obviously I know I'm buzzing, you're buzzing, everybody's happy after what the Ducks pulled off in Columbus on Saturday. So we're going to focus an hour-long podcast on that, and then we might, if we have any time, get into the mammoth difficult matchup that is Stony Brook headed to Eugene on Saturday. Uh, Matt Bagley alongside Justin Hopkins, a.k.a. Jay Hop from Scoop Duck. My friend, Oregon beat Ohio State, and I didn't see it coming. I know a lot of the national media didn't see it coming. I picked the Buckeyes on Saturday, and I, I said as much on the podcast we did last week. Did you expect oh, – no, I – you you picked the Buckeyes, right? You didn't pick Oregon to win this game, right? I picked the Buckeyes as well. Okay. Um, yeah, it, I did have it as a close game. I can't remember if I uh, had a three-point game or a seven-point game, but I had it as a one-score game. So, I mean, I wasn't like, oh, they're going to get blown out at least. And, and, you know, I could say this now. I knew about the flow injury the whole week. So when I made my pick, I was already factoring in, uh, you know, the flow injury, and I fully wasn't expecting Thibodeau to play uh, I either as well, based on what I'd heard. So I factored that in, and, and I think ultimately that's what, what made me swing the Buckeyes' direction. I thought that the early kickoff might have a little bit more of a bigger impact than it did, um, and it didn't. So I was wrong. I have no problem admitting I was wrong. I did not pick the Ducks to win, but I do at least take a small pat on the back that I didn't predict it would be a shellacking. So... I guess I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, and, and while I thought it could have been lopsided, you know, I, I talked about on my show all week how I thought there would be a disparity. You know, you look at the rankings, and Oregon might get four or five five-star players in a really good year, or they might get you know ten or fifteen four-star players in a good year, and Ohio State is churning those numbers out uh, two or threefold some years. I felt like that could be a factor. I also was concerned about Anthony Brown, and I kind of laid the case out on this pod and on my radio show. I thought there was a way Oregon could win this game, And, and what blows me away is that's how they won this game. They protected the football. We never saw Anthony Brown make mistakes. He was polished, and and then the offensive line, opening up holes for C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye, the Oregon running game was, in my opinion, the most dominant facet of that game. Yeah, I think, you know, to see Oregon go to Columbus and meet a a supremely talented Ohio State team probably has more talent on its roster than Oregon does. That's not going to happen too often to the Ducks. Uh, but you went in there and, you know, I, I think I've said as much on the message board so far, you played a brand of football that 
is sustainable. And by that, I mean, sure, when Chip Kelly was here, you know, he'd win a bunch of games, score a bunch of points. The offense was fun, but they weren't really built in the matter to compete with Alabama, Auburn, LSU, obviously the big physical teams that gave Chip Kelly, uh, you know, issues even during that historic run. This is different. This is a team that pushed around Ohio State really on both sides of the football, on the offensive line and uh, defensive line. Uh, you were without your best pass rusher. That was apparent. Oregon wasn't generating a ton of pass rush pressure, but it was just enough to force Stroud to move around a little bit, and they held up incredibly well against the run. So, um, you know, pretty impressive to see that because that to me be, that to me is a sustainable type of football. It's a sustainable brand of football. You showed, okay, we can we can be physical with uh, Ohio State. I would have to say, and I still feel this way, 100%, Oregon went in and was able to beat Ohio State, the number three or number four team, whatever ranking you want to look at. And I felt this way even before last week. I thought Alabama was is the best team in the country, looks like the best team in the country. I think Georgia is just a half step behind him. And then after that, I kind of feel like it's everybody else. Like, you know, number three through number like 12-ish could all beat each other. I still feel that way. I didn't think Ohio State was that good. I'm sure I'm not sure that Oregon is set up to beat everybody three through 10 week after week. I just think there's a lot of parity, you know, in those rankings of all those schools, including Oregon. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun and wild season, but but a yeah. huge win for the Ducks nonetheless. Well, you talk about that parity, obviously – Mario Cristobal's team going into Columbus, I think, proves your point. But what's beautiful about that to me, Oregon might not be able to beat 3 through 10, right? If you have to go to Clemson or you, you match up with Georgia or you match up with, um, say, in Oklahoma, you might not beat them, right? There might be one Saturday where they get the better of you. But Oregon doesn't have to play them. And, and I think now... The rest of the year, as long as Oregon wins out, I I think the Ducks are going to be in that playoff conversation because this game was their resume. Yeah, there. I mean, you're right. This is a this is a resume builder. Uh, you know, there's no doubt that while I think UCLA is a good team, uh, I think this is the most talented team that they're going to face. It was definitely the 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 most difficult game in my mind. For the Ducks, uh, I you know UCLA is going to throw the kitchen sink and at Oregon and be a good game. But you know, again, if Oregon's being built in the manner that we think they are, which is a, a pretty physical brand of football, that's more than likely going to be a problem for Chip Kelly and UCLA uh, when they meet. So you know, right now that looks like the game that you got to get past. Um, it, it's hard because. You know, these out-of-conference games can be so weird, right? You you know, you, you go and you beat Ohio State, which is a tremendous uh, team. It looks great on your resume. But let's be real. You're going to go face Washington, uh, Arizona, Arizona State, these other schools that are a lot more familiar with you because you play them year in and year out. And while you're more talented on paper, it doesn't always just work out where you beat them like you should because of that, you know, being familiar and playing, you know, your conference opponents. So, um. Yeah, I I love the way this sets Oregon up for the rest of the season, but uh, I I still think there will end up being a lot of close games and a lot of close calls. Um, and I wrote an article. Uh, you know, I I liked the article. It was pretty basic. There wasn't a lot to it, but you know, 
is Oregon good or is Oregon great? And that's, you know, like you hate to say it like, okay, it's Stony Brook, right? Oregon should win 75 to two. It's just Stony Brook. But, you know, you talk about the Alabamas, uh, the Clemsons, you know, they, they play up every week, no matter what the level of their opponent is. And that I think is something, uh, you know, that Oregon's going to need to do. And that's what makes a good team. Great. You know, when you're able to get those guys refocused and say, Hey, look, Ohio state's done. We've played that game. We've won. We, we can't walk into Stony Brook and they're just going to roll over because we beat Ohio state last week. We got to go out there and execute and do what we need to do. So that's, you know, that's where the good teams uh, become great. And I think that's kind of our big question mark for Oregon moving forward. Yeah. Um, so couple, couple questions to kind of piggyback off that. Um, you mentioned the UCLA game. Are there any other games you have circled on the calendar as ones where Oregon might trip up? Well, I mean, let's be real. Washington doesn't look very good right now, but it's still Washington. It's, you know, you don't have to do anything to get those guys excited to play the Ducks, right? There's, here's the thing. You're, you're, if you're Oregon, you are probably going to get this anyways, but you're now totally set up to get everyone's best shot the rest of the season. Okay. As long as you're winning, everybody's got to line up and say, you know, Hey, we're playing Oregon this week. You guys better get, Get your crap ready. You better get ready and, and strap them up. You're playing Oregon. You're going to get everyone's best shot. So, I mean, yeah, you know, you see you see a, a team like Washington. Let's say that Oregon, you know, is still undefeated at that point when they host, you know, when they play Washington. The, they would love nothing more to be, than to be the spoiler. And, you know, do they look like a team that would beat Oregon right now? No, they don't look like a team that would beat Oregon right now, but that doesn't change things. It's a... You know, it's a rivalry rivalry game. It's a conference opponent. Um, you know, all that stuff kind of goes out the window a little bit, uh, you know, in those situations. So, you know, that one to me, uh, I think is probably uh, one of my biggest concerns. And, and that's the thing I didn't like about this Oregon schedule uh, to begin with. You know, your toughest games, in my opinion, which look like your toughest games, are all pretty much road games. Okay, you're going to travel for Stanford. You know, not a hostile crowd, but you're still playing Stanford, you know, in their friendly confines. Uh, you're on the road at UCLA. That's going to be a tough game. That's going to be a really tough game. Again, not a very uh, volatile crowd, not a lot of fans in the stands, but still, you know, does this Oregon team travel well? And then Washington uh, and Utah, both really good teams. Utah's looking good so far. You're traveling for both those games. So that, to me, uh, you know, is kind of like my biggest concern about Oregon is how well they can you know, continue to win and, and and play these games that they should win, but knowing you're going to get everyone's best shot moving forward. Yeah, I'm I'm not really as concerned about Washington just based on what I've seen. Um, but but I agree with you about Utah. I always say you have to prepare for Kyle Whittingham. I think he's one of the best coaches in the conference. Um, the UCLA game is is certainly one. Just the way they play, the physicality of Chip Kelly's Bruins this year. I think that team's for real. You got to watch out for them, October twenty third. And then you mentioned the Stanford game. I had them dead. I I had them. You know, put them in the burial plot. The uh, the exodus of all those grad transfers from the program over the last two seasons has really uh, made itself apparent and. David Shaw has lost his mojo. You know, what's going on in Palo Alto? And they just 
got Clay Helton fired. <laughs> we'll talk about that a ton on this podcast, I'm sure. But I, I, I think Mario Cristobal always says this. You know, they, they really never take that Stanford game for granted because they're so well, well coached. Right. You, you can't take that game for granted. Like if there's if there's one game that I think fans aren't thinking about. You're obviously thinking about Chip Kelly and UCLA. Um, you are obviously thinking about the rivalry games, Washington, Oregon State, and then Kyle Whittingham near the end of the year, one of the best coaches on the planet. Don't sleep on that Stanford game early October because they're going to give Oregon everything they have. Well, I mean, so first first things first, you know, you hit the nail on the head with C.J. Verdell last week on the podcast, you know, having a big game. Uh, but if you'll recall, we were, when we were doing – our five games, I said, watch Stanford can beat USC. You did. You know, they're going to be well coached. And, you know, that's just the type of game that has been Clay Helton's kryptonite. You know, he goes out there and he's able to beat these teams that can't figure out. you got to guard their, you know, ridiculously talented, talented receivers. Well, unfortunately, you know, a guy like David Shaw knows all your tricks, right? He's going to, you know, he's going to really test you. And that has never been uh, Clay Helton's strong suit is having to actually coach. <laughs> No, no, and again, well, I, I've got a whole section dedicated to uh, Clay Helton and and uh, USC and the uh, you know uh, I, I'm trying to do my best Gus Johnson impression. Was was he saying Mario or Mario for four hours on Saturday? He he kept saying, you know, it was just so weird. It was it was like Mary, you know, it was I don't know. Yeah, Mar- Mar- Mario. It was Mario the okay. whole time, and I'm sitting here going, Gus, how do you not know how to say his name? Or are you just being disrespectful on purpose? I mean, you could almost kind of hear his tone through the game, you know, Ohio State would make a big play, and then Gus was pretty excited, and then, you know, Oregon would make a big play. It's like, oh, all right, Oregon made a good play. You know, it, it was uh, I think it was tearing his heart out a little bit. Well, I, I think sometimes as a broadcaster, I know I've done this, when you see a name that's Hispanic, and, I, and I'm not not – trying to come across as like racist or anything by saying this but i know just as somebody who's been in gus's shoes sometimes if you see a name that you know is hispanic you you really go over the top with what you think the proper hispanic pronunciation should be and i think that's what he did there i think he just got in trouble doing that but uh yeah i was just going to put my best gus johnson impression and say we were going to talk for a whole solid 10 minutes about mario quote-unquote cristobal and uh, his chances to take the USC job next year. But that that's coming up a little bit later. Um, the other kind of burning question I have after Oregon's win Saturday in Columbus, I called it a statement, and the biggest statement of the crystal ball era. Others have said this is the biggest win in the history of Oregon football. I'm curious kind of where you sit on that debate. Like, like, where does that win rank for you? You know, to me, it's the – I have thought a little bit about this. I, I, I think it's the second biggest win in my mind. And I think, you know, I think it's almost unfair, um, you know, not to count that uh, Florida State Rose Bowl win as number one, uh, you know, which obviously was – you know, one of the one of the four play or the two playoff games. You know, to put you in the national championship that year. I I personally I think that that's st- still got to be number one. But there's no doubt that this is two or three. You know, this is a, a, a this is a program defining win. 
And, you know, what I, what I, what I mean when I say that is that, you know, Mario Cristobal shows up and, you know, basically preaches that, you know, we're going to develop guys. We're going to, we're going to, you know, develop a, a physical brand of football. You know, we're going to kind of do all these things and, you know, as Oregon fans, I don't know that you totally embrace that. You think, okay, yeah, that's great. But, uh, you know, Oregon really hasn't been that, you know, physical brand of football, um, at least during kind of the successful years with, with Chip and with Helfrich and, and even with Bilotti there at the end. Um, but this validated that this, you know, I mean, the offensive line looked great. And that was a, that's, that's the best defensive line Oregon's going to see this year mm-hmm. uh, uh, besides the playoffs. So, um, you know, it certainly validated that, you know, he was, he would get guys developed, uh, that he would recruit bigger, stronger, faster athletes, uh, that he would, you know, build a physical brand of football. Uh, and that's what we saw on, on display. And it was just, uh, you know, to me, a, a couple takeaways with it, you know, just, you, you know, it'd be one thing if Ohio state played bad and I don't think Ohio state played bad i just think oregon had their number i think they executed a better game plan it'd be one thing if oregon had won and gotten a couple lucky calls or a couple lucky bounces or something like that and that wasn't really the case it was just a it was a pretty clean game on both sides there wasn't a lot of turnovers there wasn't a lot of uh penalties i know ohio state had more penalties than oregon but it wasn't like it was egregious it literally really was just oregon outplayed them pushed them around and wore them down and, and won the football game. So I think that that's what I take away most from it. And the fact that it was a 9 a.m. kickoff and on the road, uh, you know, those, those are a lot of elements, but yeah, for me, that, that was number two for me. I, I believe, I think, I think you got to give respect to, you know, beating Jamie's Winston and the, and the, and the mystery fumble, you know, that, uh, that, uh, you know, the ducks had, but um it's still a, an amazing victory for the Ducks in the program history. Yeah, the, the blocking on the first Verdell touchdown and then the blocking on the Travis Dye touchdown late in the third quarter, I, I think about those plays, and it's one thing to do that to USC or Arizona or Utah, right? To do that in the Pac-12 week in, week out, that's what we've come to expect from Mario Cristobal. I, I think back to the Auburn game a couple years ago, we didn't see it. Or the Iowa State game last year, we didn't see it. To block like that and and be the more physical team and and have multiple leads really in control of the game ever since that 99-yard touchdown drive in the second, um, to, to be in control of the game the way they were against a program that is known for dominating teams week in week out and never losing at home in front of a hundred thousand crazy fans i think you look at oregon now and you have to say anything's possible like it it, i i I want to be the guy that tells people you know don't overreact and oh you know don't don't get your hopes up too far and oh there's still alabama to deal with and georgia to deal with in the playoff but can this team win a national championship? Because I feel like they just proved they can. Yeah, I mean, uh, they certainly can. I think, I think, you know, I, I think when healthy, and you know, obviously we know Justin Flo is not going to play the rest of the year, but you get Thibodeau back out there, um, you get some of these younger guys 
the experience they're needed. Keith Brown played a hell of a football game stepping in there. Um, you know, that's a guy that you give him, you know, a handful more games. It's, it's only going to help him. Um, you were able to get DJ James back, who played a really good football game as well. Bennett Williams played a, a heck of a game, but you're going to get Jamal Hill, you know, back out there more and more. So I, I think as this team maybe gets a little bit more healthy overall, um, I think you could argue that. Are they there yet? I, I don't know. I, I guess in my heart of hearts, I never felt this was the year for Oregon. I kind of think like next year feels like the year that might line them up, but this team can certainly compete. I don't, I don't see how you can't, you know, remain in the top five if you're Oregon, but I do feel that uh, right now, today, right now, obviously we got a lot of football left. You know, there is a gap between Oregon and Alabama and Georgia. Can they close that gap? You know, does Alabama and Georgia sustain some injuries that changes the complexity of their team a little bit? Quite possibly, you know, does this somewhat relatively younger Oregon team continue to get better, better and close that gap? Certainly possible. Um, they can compete for one, but right now I think if you if you put Oregon in there against Alabama, I, I just see a team that's going to get, get uh get pushed around a little bit by alabama well let's hope not um uh w- one last thing on that game you know i, I really want to hammer this hard just because it's such a big win out of all the players who shined bright on saturday who stood out to you the most uh man that's a tough one i mean i, I feel like i could probably spend 20 minutes here almost like coach Cristobal. But, I mean, there's so many guys, you know, uh, the unselfishness of D.J. Johnson playing two ways. I mean, that was just amazing. Catches a touchdown pass yeah. and is, you know, game is the final sack. sack of the game. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a crazy storyline, right? I mean, just when you think about it, uh, you know, I thought everybody was ready to, to, to put Anthony Brown out to pasture and, and get Ty Thompson in there, and he played a hell of a football game. I mean, he was physical, you know, punishing those guys, ran for some really tough yards, didn't make – uh, you know, any real egregious mistakes kept the game in check the whole time. Hell of a football game from him. We could go all the way down the offensive line. Uh, all those guys did a great job. Ryan Walk, uh, what a performance from him. Alex Forsythe did a great job at center. No bad snaps. Held up his own. Uh, you know, every one of those guys deserves, you know, recognition. Uh, I thought the tight ends all contributed really well. Uh, you know, Monteval obviously got a touchdown. Terrence Ferguson was out there. Spencer Webb had a couple catches. Um, you know, every one of those guys deserved mention. I thought Bennett Williams and Verone McKinley. Yeah, I, 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 better, I better back up. C.J. Verdell obviously played a hell of a football game, but everybody knows that as well. But as I moved to defense, Bennett Williams and Verone McKinley had absolute monster football games out there. Uh, Mikel Wright obviously did enough to keep uh, you know, some really explosive wide receivers from absolutely killing him. Um, you know, there was a couple big catches, but by and large, I think Oregon's game plan was to say, hey, look, let's let these guys get get theirs underneath. They're going to have some catches. They're going to get some 10-yard catches, but let's not give up the 40, 50, 60, 70-yard plays. And they did that for the most part, and that's really tough to do. DJ James played a hell of a game. Uh, Dante Manning had some big plays. Verone McKinley, Bennett Williams, as I mentioned, were huge. Um, you know, I, I thought Keon Ware Hudson 
Brandon Dorless obviously played big games. Those guys were terrific as well. The interior of the defensive line for Oregon did such a phenomenal job not giving up easy runs um, and really made that Ohio State offense one-dimensional. Um, and then, I mean, shoot, you got to mention Tom Snee. That guy was just kicking some bombs out there, kept pinning them deep. Um, you know, superb placement. Uh, again, I feel like Mario Cristobal in his press conference is going down a list of names, but it took a total group effort to get that win, and I think that that is what we saw. There was a lot of people that stepped up, um, and, it's you know, again, if I had to pick one person, I don't know that I could because there were so many guys. I know C.J. Verdell got all the stats, but, you know, Anthony Brown and that offensive line played a hell of a football game on the offense. That defense, I know they gave up some points. You're going to give up points to a team like Ohio State. Right. But they absolutely did enough for your team to win uh, and really kept the game from from getting away from you. So I don't know if you could pick one, but there's a list of guys for me at least. Yeah. Well, I think you have a couple points that are really smart there. One is the, the, the quarterback situation. I... I definitely came out of the opening game thinking Anthony Brown is not good enough to beat the Buckeyes in Columbus. And I think what's really important in this debate is if you take that Anthony Brown performance and say, well, let's let's put Ty Thompson in and maybe Ty Thompson will do better, it's not like you're playing NCAA football and you can just swap in a 99 <laughs> overall quarterback and beat somebody 70 to nothing, right? Like, that's not real life. Ohio State was the number three team in America. Right now, they're still a top 10 team in America. They're number nine in America. That's a really good football team. You're not going to go into Columbus with Anthony Brown or Ty Thompson or Peyton Manning or anybody, anybody, and just blow out. A team like that. So Anthony Brown doing what he did, uh, throwing as as effectively as he did, and, and just running the offense efficiently for Oregon. Again, the fact that he doesn't turn the ball over, the fact that there weren't a lot of incompletions that stalled or killed drives, I think that's the absolute best that the Oregon offense can ask for. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I, I think, you know, uh, like you said, that, that was a great point you made. Okay, so, you know, is Anthony Brown maybe like, we'll just say a 90 overall? Okay, I, maybe I'm being generous, but whatever, you get my point. And, you know, Ty Thompson, because of his potential, he's an 88 overall, so you put him out there and it's a marginal difference. You know, uh, you know, no, in a setting like that, 100,000 strong on the road, early kick, th that's a really d difficult situation, and that's where you value that experience that Anthony Brown brings. Again, he might not do some other things well. Maybe his deep ball needs a little touch. Maybe he needs a little bit more help, you know, processing his reads in the passing game. I think there's room for improvement there, but he did so well in the other facets as far as running the football, as far as not, you know, forcing bad throws, as for, you know, as far as not fumbling the ball. He did so many other things really well. Uh, you got to take that into account. And, and, and that took a lot of moxie, you know, for that guy to go out there and play in such a level-headed manner like he did in front of that kind of crowd. So, um, you know, Ty Thompson can totally get there, but it's definitely a huge ask, you know, to do that with a true freshman in the second game of the season on the road. So, Anthony Brown, again, I think I've said this even before we started the season, 
he doesn't need to win the football game for Oregon. Right. Okay, more than likely, right. he he, does, he just needs to play well enough to keep them in the game. I think he played better than that. It would be a disservice to say that that's all he did on Saturday in Columbus. But if he can continue to get better and get more comfortable in this offense and, and just take that play even up a notch or two, he's good enough for Oregon to win. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you 100%. He doesn't need to win. I love that line. He doesn't need to win for Oregon because C.J. Verdell, Travis Dye, Micah Pittman, uh, Maliki Matavau, how about him? I mean, QB11 was was all over this, telling everybody that wanted to hear it for three months how this guy earned the tight end one j- job and was going to make plays tight end one. Um, and then, of course, quote-unquote Devon Williams – Thanks for that, Gus Johnson. Uh, those guys are going to win the game for Oregon. All Anthony Brown has to do is get them the football and make sure he doesn't get it to anybody else on the other side. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. Yeah, let you know, it, especially this, especially this. Okay, this didn't happen in week one, but in week two, if, if that offensive line is going to allow your team to run like it did against Ohio State, it's going to make Anthony Brown's job a hell of a lot easier. Oh yeah, and 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 even you know, adds even more to the fact that he doesn't have to do much to be special. He just needs to be able to let these guys run the football and then make a pass here and there and just, like you said, not throw it to the other team. Yeah, I mean, uh, any any play caller will tell you the, the best time, the best opportunity you have in the whole game is second and short. If you get the second yeah. and short a lot, you can run anything. And and it, it's it's all wide open for you. Play action, deep strikes, big plays, trick plays. If Oregon can get to second and short, because we know they're going to run on first down. <laughs> if 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 C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye are getting six and seven yards a pop on first and ten, I like Oregon's chances to win every Saturday. Yeah. No. And now you know that was one one of my big keys is is you know first down success. You know get get four yards, get five yards, get six yards, whatever you can, you know, get something that, like you said, keeps your playbook open on second down. You're not, you're not forced to throw, you know, you're not in a bad situation. That's the only time that Oregon really got hurt against Ohio state was when they didn't have first down success. Now, sometimes that was because they tried to switch it up and throw the ball on two or three straight downs, which maybe I didn't love, but I understand why you do it. You're trying to keep the defense honest. Um, you know, again, like you said, if they can run like they – and, again, that's the best defensive line Oregon's going to see all year. If they can run like that against Ohio State, there's nobody in the Pac-12 that can stop Oregon's run game with what we saw in Columbus on Saturday. Um, so I I had a Tom Snee story to share with you because, you know me, I'm a radio geek, and, and uh, the radio guys there – they they had some uh, some funny exchanges during the Oregon radio broadcast about Tom Snee, but I God dang it I had a point and then I lost it. Um, <laughs> oh no, I know what I was going to ask you. I'm thankful I just remembered this. Okay, I'm really distracted. I'm upbeat. I'm happy. I know you feel the same way, and. A moment ago, this just popped in my head, like how different this feels, this this conversation we're having after a massive win. How different is this than how you felt after the Auburn loss two years ago? Uh, how different is this win? Yeah. Yeah, you know, 
that Auburn loss was tough because you really felt like I felt like here's the difference. I felt like in the Auburn game specifically, Oregon played to lose. Okay, they they got conservative, let the ball game kind of get away from them, and let Auburn continue to scratch their way into it. That was my biggest concern with Ohio State because I can't recall, but the Ducks had the ball with like eight minutes left or something like that. And I'm thinking, okay, don't get conservative here. If you get conservative, their offense is doing pretty well right now. Uh, You know, you're kind of letting them back in the game. I think Oregon did just enough keeping the pedal down against Ohio State in this one. I think that was a big difference versus what they did against Auburn. Um, That, to me, was the difference in the ball game and the fact that I I believe – I will say this. Mario Cristobal will make mistakes. He's still going to make mistakes. That's going to happen. But he seems to be a pretty quick learner of those mistakes. It's not very often – that he duplicates the same mistake. So another point is, you know, a lot of fans kind of critiqued when he punted towards the end of the game, uh, you know, obviously to pin Ohio State deep. Well, if you recall, uh, you know, just a couple years back, instead of punting, Oregon goes for it uh, against Stanford. C.J. Verdell runs the ball, has an unfortunate fumble. Oregon loses the game, right? feel like he learned from that one. So, you know, some people might want to say, hey, he shouldn't have punted there. Should have, I would have gone for it on fourth and one. I think he made the right call, and it certainly seems to be the case because Oregon won the football game. So, uh, you know that that to me is the is the difference. I think that I think that Oregon got really lucky getting Mario Cristobal, who has done a tremendous job building out impressive staffs and has done an even more impressive job recruiting. I think Mario Cristobal, the coach himself, has continued to evolve and will and will continue to evolve, and. I still think Oregon overall is just scratching the surface. I think this is a, a good team, maybe a, a, a pretty good team. I'm not sure that they're all the way great yet, but you can see that they're getting better and that that, that, that great, that greatness is right there. It's right. I mean, you're knocking on the door if you're not there yet in my mind. All right. Uh, let's have some Trojan talk here. USC fires Clay Helton. He's been the butt of jokes on this podcast for years, dating back to the first episodes here. We've had guests talk about the drama at USC, how clearly they needed to make this move. But they made this move at a weird time. Second week of the year, one and one record, one Pac-12 loss, and Clay Helton gets the axe. Were you surprised by yesterday's bombshell that USC fired Clay Helton? Certainly surprised. Uh, I I think it's I think it's terrible mismanagement uh, by the athletic director. Um, I, I I don't know. You you really kind of just fumble farted this thing up really badly. I mean, he probably should have been gone two years ago. Uh, you know, last year was kind of a wild year. I don't take, you know, I, I just take last season with a grain of salt, given what the PAC 12 went through and, you know, including USC, uh, for you to come out here and fire him two games in cause he lost to Stanford. Now, albeit it was a bad loss. You know, people, people have been calling for Clay Helton to get fired for two years now. And you decided two games in that that's what you're going to do. Um, I don't know. It just it it, it it feels really weird to me. It feels like uh, so. Yeah, I'm surprised. Um, 
I don't disagree with it. You, uh, I mean, firing Clay Helton was the right thing to do uh, as far as looking out for USC football. Um, you know, he wasn't ever going to get the program to where you want it to be. Um, it just uh, firing him and promoting Dante Williams to your interim head coach. Just, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. It seems really weird to me. Um, I can't put my finger on it, but, uh, it just seems like it's been kind of fumble farted with. And I, 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 I don't know, unless they get urban Meyer, I, I don't, I, I don't know. It, it's hard for me to put it into the right words, I guess for me, how about this? Okay. If you're, if you're Oregon and you're ever going to move on from Mario Cristobal for whatever reason, you probably should have a pretty good idea of who you can replace him with. Okay. It doesn't mean that it might be that guy, but you might say, Hey, these are the two or three guys we've already sent out feelers via back channels. We know they're interested. We're going to interview them. We got a legit shot here. Let's go ahead and move on. I don't think USC has the absolute foggiest idea who they can hire right now. And that's the biggest problem I have is if you're going to move on from Clay Helton, which is totally fine and the right move overall, you probably should have an idea of who the two or three guys are that you should that you can get. If they, a, I don't think they can get Urban Meyer. Uh, B, I don't think Chris Peterson's going there. So, I, I mean, are you feeling good that you're going to be able to poach James Franklin from Penn State? Do you think that Luke Fickle's the guy from Cincinnati, uh, or do you feel like you are going to have enough bargaining power to make a serious run at Mario Cristobal? And let's be real, they'll make a, a run at Mario Cristobal. I, I'm trying to gently prep readers on Scoop Duck that right. his name's going to be, it's going to be attached to this opening it until the opening's closed. It already is. It's already the number yeah. one headline. And that's why I wanted to talk about yeah. this. Like, like, let's just kill uh, the elephant in the room right now. It's going to be attached. And that's yeah. a good thing for Oregon. It means that your coach is doing something right. You know, other people, here, here's what I said. Nobody else in the Pac-12 has Oregon's problem, okay? Your head coach's name ultimately is going to link to almost every you know, job opening, uh, you know, at least most of the major ones in the last two years. That's a good thing. That's what you, that's what you need and that's what you want. Is it nerve-wracking? Is it stressful? Does it kind of suck? Sure, it does, but it beats the alternative. Nobody's trying to hire away Clay Helton from USC, and for good reason. Or, well, at least when he was there. So you get my point. Um, if I'm USC, okay, if I'm USC and this is a perfect world in a vacuum and Duck fans don't get pissed off, this is you got to look at it this way. My first phone call is Urban Meyer, okay? That's the first phone call. You throw the kitchen sink at him. I don't think it's going to happen, but that should be your first phone call. That's, the, that's probably the best guy for the job. I don't like Urban Meyer, okay? I think he's, I think he's shady as hell. If I was a athletic director i wouldn't want to hire him but if you're trying to get usc back to glory he's probably the guy that could do it the quickest my second phone call immediately after i call urban is mario cristobal mm -hmm. because that's the twofer okay you're gonna get a really good coach a guy that's highly coveted a guy that's proven he can recruit he can recruit in your area successfully and you hurt your conference foe in the worst way possible that's a twofer okay that's the double down that's something that Mario Cristobal likes to do with his position coach hires. It, it is a, it's a really great hire if you can go get somebody from within your own conference that's doing a really good job. 
you help your own team out, you hurt one of your conference opponents. That's the number one thing for USC to do here, here. That's the double down. I still don't, I, I mean, Mario Cristobal doesn't have to talk to anyone from USC. He has an agent for that. Yeah. His agent can be the dirtiest, grimiest, whatever, you name it. That's his job. That's why Mario Cristobal pays him. That's why he has him. This guy, his only job, his objective is to make sure that Mario Cristobal is financially compensated in the best way possible for doing what he's doing. And there's really only one way for him to do that. And that's by getting his client, you know, other offers. There's no reason for Oregon to offer against him. They already have Mario Cristobal. They're already paying him. There's no reason for Oregon to simply just say, Oh, let's throw more money at him for no reason. Let's right. just throw more money to Mario Cristobal right now to try and hope that it'll sway other teams from coming at him. You don't do that, okay? The only reason you throw more money at him is when somebody else makes a more appealing offer. And I have full confidence, absolutely full confidence, that Rob Mullins, Phil Knight, Pat Kilkenny, the powers that be, if USC makes any sort of a serious push for Mario Cristobal, they will take it very seriously and they will respond in a very serious manner. But there's no reason for them to do that until we get to that bridge. Yeah, I, I, I think this is an example of... The, the media and, and college football fans, we just assume that because USC is USC, that they have an unlimited war chest, right? We just assume that, well, it's you know a prestigious school, one of the best of the best in terms of football uh, historically. We just think that they are always going to attract the best talent. And with Cristobal, on paper, I think he's the best talent. Like, I'm with you. My first phone call... It honestly, is probably Cristobal. It's not Herb. Um, I, I think Cristobal's better. I think he's a better person. I think he's a better coach. But I think that phone call wraps up pretty quick when you realize he just signed a five-year deal like nine months ago. Because <laughs> I remember us talking ourselves hoarse on this pod nine months ago about the not, uh, about the five-year deal and would he get the deal and, you know, would he not get the deal and go coach in the SEC. And then he gets the deal and we shut up. Um, he's got the five-year extension and he's got a $19 million buyout. I don't think USC can afford that. I don't think anybody can afford that right now. Well, I, his buyout's only $9 million. Okay, I I read nineteen, so it must have been a typo. Oh yeah, no, I th I think it's it's only nine million, which again I shouldn't say only nine. That's a big number, okay? Because right. they're already you know USC's already cutting a check for thirty million, uh, you know, getting rid of, of Clay Helton. He's going to walk out of there with with a lot of money, so don't feel too bad for him. Uh, and not to mention you know USC's had some some pretty notable legal troubles that have cost them a lot of money here in the last year or two. So, yeah, I mean, do they have a big alumni and a big base, and can they raise some money? Absolutely, but this is a really expensive. But on the flip side, they can't miss this one up again. They can, they cannot, you know, it's, it's you know, I, uh, uh, Josh Pate, uh, late kick on 24-7 does a really good job, but, you know, it, one of his main points, which is, which is an accurate point, is, you know, these, these kids these days don't remember – the, the glory days of USC. They remember their dads and their grandpas telling them about the glory days of USC. Right. But they don't remember. Right. They haven't witnessed them. They haven't seen them. So USC is pretty far removed. I, I just don't think that Trojan fans 
are are being realistic about where their team is. They are pretty considerably removed from the winning tradition that they you know were establishing there at one point under Pete Carroll, and they are really in a spot where it's very dangerous because let's say you make a play for Mario Cristobal and you don't get him. Okay. So right now he's already now Mario Cristobal has a major flex when he goes into these, you know, schools later on this, this winter in January doing home visits and stuff like that. Like, Hey, guess what? That other school that I'm recruiting against, they kept, they tried to hire me. I told them no thanks. Right. You know, that's a major flex for Mario Cristobal. And I, and, and you got to pay attention to that because there's really, there is a it will take some tact there's a way for mario cristobal to to stay at bay from the usc talk and his name being linked to it but there's also reason to have his name remain in that there's a really big there's a short game and a long game with it and i'm sure he'll manage it carefully we know mario cristobal loves the art of strategy it's 100 percent what he likes to do but at the end of the day usc can't afford to miss this hire now if they get tight with the checkbook now and they miss this hire, you're going to add another three, four or five years, whatever the case might be, that you're that you're even further removed from that history. Oh, and by the way, your foe to the north continues to go on the trajectory that you don't want them to. Right. So this is a really dangerous situation for USC in my mind. Uh, one last thing on USC and then let's move on to five games and locks and our, our well, I, I guess we could share our Oregon Stony Brook picks, though I don't think we have any upsets <laughs> planned there. Um, Dante Williams is a Mario Cristobal protege, Oregon assistant, goes to USC, now he's their interim head coach. What do you think about Coach Dante down in L.A. this year? Well, I mean, good for him, right? I mean, this is, you know, this is uh, this is what you are are working for, right? You know, your goal is to just probably more than likely start out as a high school football coach or a, or a GA at a lower school, and then you work it into a position coach job. Hopefully you parlay that into a coordinator job, whatever, and, and, and that's the, the normal trajectory. You know, for, for Dante, this is a huge step up. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, USC still got a lot of talent. Uh, you know, he's going to obviously have to establish his own culture. Uh, hopefully he doesn't have any, what's the word I want to say here? Hopefully he, hopefully by him becoming the interim head coach, he doesn't have any bad blood or jealousy with any of, of the other coaches on his roster that let's be f- quite frank might have been a letter better suited a little bit better suited to do this you know you had a, an offensive coordinator that a lot of a lot of folks talk highly of Graham Harrell you know you've got a defensive coordinator that's got a lot of experience in the game uh either of those guys might have been better suited than Dante Williams for this but that's not how it played out so hopefully everybody's on the same page because that's going to be important for him um I, I I will say this Dante Williams can recruit the lights out uh, he is absolutely 100% one of the best in that area, um, but he's totally green as far as a head coach goes. So um, this is really dangerous for US- USA. I'm sure he will be uh, in the running for this job, but I certainly hope if you're USC, you make a pretty serious run at about four or five other names first before that. You, you know, before you kind of 
you know, settle and go down this road. Because let's be real, Dante Williams will always be there and he'll always take this job. So if you go and hire it to five other guys, he'll always be there and he'll always hope for this job. I I, I guess, I guess that's the thing that concerns me. Okay. Did, did bone do, did bone get rid of clay Helton two games into the season so that now Dante Williams has a, a, a 10 game resume, you know, for, for a tryout. Is that what, is that what his end game was? Cause if it was, that seems really dangerous to me. I hope it's not, but you got to kind of wonder if that's the theory that went into this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Food for thought. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep some meat on that bone and address that as the world turns. Cause I have a hunch USC is going to stay in the headlines for the rest of the season. Five games we think you should watch. We did it last week. We'll show it to you again. Five more games here. I picked five. Justin picked five. And then we'll have uh, locks of the week and wrap the pod. Five games we think you should watch. Okay, I have five games. Justin has five games. And the catch is... Oregon isn't in one of those five games. Last week, that made it kind of tough. This week, I think it's pretty easy. We got a lot of good ones. I always like starting in the order of when a game airs. So this one isn't the best game of the five. In fact, it might be the most silly and lopsided of the five. But I'll tell you why I'm picking it. Number 16, Coastal Carolina at Buffalo. 9 a.m. Saturday morning, right after game day on ESPN2. Buffalo is not the reason why I want to watch this game. It's not going to be close. Right. It's not going to be compelling from a drama standpoint or, or from a meaningfulness standpoint. Like Oregon and Ohio State had real meaning and impact behind it. I just like watching Coastal Carolina. If you like the X's yeah. and O's of the game... That team stands out every Saturday. They run a lot of really fun stuff. I want to see it. Hundred percent, totally agree with you. It's 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 uh, slowly becoming you know almost like must must watch football. Uh, you know, just kind of watching them, and it's 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 kind of just I don't know. They're 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 the Cinderella team, I guess, if you will. So then everybody, you know, naturally kind of cheers for them, uh, myself included. But yeah, I didn't write that game down, but I I agree with you. Uh, I I wrote down an obvious Bama Florida. I'm gonna guess you have that too. Ding ding ding. You know, top, yep. Top ten, top ten matchup. Uh, I think I think Bama's gonna boat race them personally, but I would love to see Florida make a game out of it. So, um, you know, I, I guess ultimately this can be one of those things where Bama's gonna, you know, draw everybody's best shot each week. So, I guess we'll we'll see how they measure up. What would it take for Saban to lose his fastball? Like, how does somebody catch up to his program? Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's be real. From a a talent standpoint, there's really only you know, uh, Clemson, Georgia, uh, Ohio State for the most part. Although you know they're a little green this year, you know it's it takes one of those elite teams that has talent, has you know has athleticism, has depth to do that. And then, not only then, not only do you got to have those guys. You gotta you gotta dial up, uh, you know, an A plus game plan. So, um, yeah, right now I, I do I, I I have felt that Alabama's the team to beat uh, in the in the country right now. 
I think Georgia's the biggest threat. But e- even then, I think Alabama's a, a step ahead of Georgia at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, so that's my second game. My third game, uh, 4.30 on ABC, number 22, Auburn, at number 10, Penn State. I put this down for two reasons. One is top 25 matchup. That's always a plus. The other thing is I want to see how James Franklin comes out because Mario Cristobal's name has been thrown out in the rumor mill attached to that opening in Los Angeles, but so is James Franklin's name. And I think that move makes a lot more sense for him than it does for Cristobal. I wonder if that'll distract him. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't think it becomes a distraction for, you know, I, uh, you know, right now what we have is we have media putting out names, you know, some pretty obvious names. I mean, you you know, uh, I let's be real. You're not being honest if you don't put Mario Cristobal's name on USC's coaching search. They're going to look at him. They have to. Okay, James Franklin's another one that you throw down. Okay, I get it. Those names deserve to, well, you know, uh, Luke Fickle deserves to be on there. Uh, Urban Meyer, you take a stab. Whether they hire any of those guys, that's that's a, a decision that obviously happens about two months from now. And I think once we get a little closer to some of that, to you know, they kind of narrow it down and, you know, and the two or three names that become serious and have interviewed, uh, I don't think it'll be too much of a distraction for Cristobal, for, for James Franklin, for those guys right now. But, you know, talk to me again at the end of November if they still haven't made a hire yet. <laughs> yeah. But that's a good game. No, I, I didn't write it down, but that's a good game. My next game's ASU and BYU. That's uh, a top 25 game. like to see if ASU is for real or not. I think BYU will give them a test. Um, should be a good game. It's a Pac-12 game, so I'm always going to you know try and include those as much as I can. Uh, that's my second game. Yeah, that's my fourth right there. ASU, BYU. There's so much drama surrounding that squad in the desert, and i got to give BYU credit. They, they won the Holy Bowl last week, won the rivalry game. Uh, so that team has the confidence to believe they can win these games, and it, it means a lot to them playing a Pac-12 school. Um, I, what's your what's your next game? Uh, Fresno State and UCLA. Okay. All right. So, uh, so, so uh, we hit on three of them. Did we? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that one's pretty obvious why. You know, we want to see if Fresno State's for real, how well they play UCLA. That one was a no-brainer for me. Yeah. Quarter to eight kickoff on Pac-12 Network Saturday night. Fresno State, really, really good team this year. And, and I'm with you. I loved watching the violence of UCLA in that win over LSU. It, it wasn't just... Oh, Chase Coda, Medford kid makes a couple nice catches, or oh, look at this nice run that Chip schemed up. It was the the violence in how they blocked people to the ground, and and after the whistle, and the violence in which they were hitting people on the defensive side. Where I'm not just talking about like thumper hits, but how many times they would wrap up an LSU runner. And then somebody else would converge in and make the the cleanup hit. You know, it, it was never a solo tackle. It was always like gang tackling. I loved that from UCLA, and I, I think that team is for real. I got, I want to see them Saturday night. Yeah, love to see them. Love to see how Fresno State holds up. And and I agree that you know this is basically Chip's probably best team that he's had. They're they're much uh, much improved on defense. 
Uh, next up for me for me was uh, USC versus Wazoo. Um, you know, uh, another obvious choice in my mind. I don't. It shouldn't be a game, but it will be interesting to see the debut of the Dante Williams head coaching era. Yeah, yeah. I'm rooting for USC in that one. I want to see the mess in Pullman get worse and worse and worse until they come to their senses there. Um, so that's five games. A lot, lot, of, lot of variety. We got some Saturday morning ones, some Saturday midday, Saturday night. Hopefully a lot of fun. Yep. Also a good good day of football. Good day of football is always great. Yeah. I've had I've had a few of those lately. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I'm not sad about it, I can tell you that. <laughs> like I'm just gonna skip over my Monday night and just hope and pray that I never have to watch another game like that in my life because my my blood pressure can't handle that but all day saturday football like i i covered uh southern oregon on saturday so i had to drive uh, it was a, a a noon kickoff at Autzen. they're playing in Autzen because of the wildfire smoke in the rogue valley so i drive down i listen to the ducks game on the radio I get into Autzen, I take the elevator up to the press box, and there's a TV for me in the press box, so I turn that on, and I watch the rest of the Ducks game. They end right before SOU kicked off. Then I cover the SOU game. I've got like three games uh, DVR'd waiting for me back at home. Get home, stay up till like 10 or 11 and watch all that stuff. And then Sunday morning, I go grocery shopping, get back at like 930 and I just sit on the couch and watch Red Zone for 10 hours. I, I, I absolutely loved the last, like, three days of football. Yeah. No, it, yeah, it's – uh, I'm just – I am so happy the football's back. And uh, like you said, it was a good a good college uh, – uh, there was some good college games. Obviously, the Duck win. You know, everybody's celebrating Saturday afternoon. But then, uh, you know, there's some really good – I don't get the NFL ticket anymore, so, like, when you know you get the just a couple NFL games on your TV, right? And you know we were absolutely treated. I got you know got the Chargers in our area. Got to watch Justin Herbert. That was a great game. Um, you know it, it just ended up being a pretty good slate uh, of of NFL games on Sunday too. So I'm excited for another week of it. When you talk to that staff, and and, and I'll, I'll I'll wrap this here, and then we'll get to lock of the week. When, when you talk to your connections on the Oregon staff, past and present, do they ever kick themselves thinking about Herbert? Like, like he um, makes every freaking throw on the planet and, right. and rookie of the year in the NFL. I think he's a, a, in the running for MVP this year. I, I've got him in my fantasy yep. league, like a lot of people in Oregon. Um I, I just am curious, like, does, does Mario or anybody on that staff ever go, man, I wish we used to scheme differently around him? I, I think it lends some of the merit and frustrations that stemmed from the Marcus Arroyo era. I guess that's all I'll say. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, I, I know better than to pick at that wound, so I'll just ask that <laughs> then and you know, if it ever comes up again, we'll talk about it a little bit more. But it was on my mind Sunday, watching him make all those crazy throws. Um, let's get to Lock of the Week. So something happened last week on the podcast that I don't think has ever happened in the history of this podcast. And that's a big deal. We've taped over a 100 of these over the years. 
I think this is season number four of, of football seasons where we've specifically done this feature. Lock of the week. We make a prediction that we feel is so solid, we're going to lock it in. It's going to happen. It's locked. It cannot waver. It cannot move. It will happen no matter what. I got one right. I never get one right. I said C.J. Verdell would rush over 100 yards. He did that and way more. Three touchdowns, the 77-yarder in the third quarter, I thought was an exclamation point, making a statement to the world about what he and Oregon are capable of. And when that happened, I just went ballistic. I got one right. I got one right. Um, I have no idea what I want to predict this week. So I'm going to start with you, my friend. What's your lock of the week? You know, I'm having a tough time because this is Stony Brook, right? And right. so <laughs> yeah, like, it's almost like, okay, you know, I mean – it should be 50 to three, right? That should be the score of this football game is, is something along those lines. So you think, okay, do I, do I pick an offense? You know, I mean, it, you feel like, okay, if I pick CJ Verdell to have a big game, will he even be out there long enough to have a big game, you know, or, or, or you know, Anthony Brown really shouldn't have to do much. So I'm, I'm going all over the board here. Okay. But I'll say this. Okay. I'm going to pick DJ James to have two interceptions in this football game on defense and i think uh, the reason i'm going this way is because nobody likes to throw at mikhail Wright, and i don't blame them so dj james gets extra work uh secondly you know he missed the first game of the season i think the staff will keep him out there a little bit longer than they might normally to get a little bit more work in a few more reps in uh you know so i think dj james gets extended time uh, i think stony brook makes a mistake or two, and ends up throwing at least two interceptions to DJ James this week. And you said fifty to three. I I'm gonna say Oregon shuts them out. I, I I feel like that's my lock. Obviously, since I just predicted it, it's not gonna happen. But I think Oregon shuts them out. Just looking at this offense and and their stats, Stony Brook is a team that they they run to set up the pass. And I don't think that's how you beat this Oregon team. I, I think the strength of this Oregon side is their front seven. They're going to shut down the run. They're going to keep Stony Brook from getting any drives down the field. And this is going to get real ugly real quick. I like Oregon to shut them out. So what was your final score? You said shut them out. I didn't see how many points you, th- you oh, think it oh, gets. Oh, oh, oh. Um, let's just say 50 to nothing. We'll just say an even 50. Oh, you're, you're throwing up a 50 bird. Okay, yeah. so 50. Oh. Yeah, I, I would like – I tell you what. It, you know, my, my column earlier was this. Is Oregon good or is Oregon great? And, and to go – if Oregon can go out there and shut Stony Brook out and show that they're not going to play down to the level of their competition, you know, that's another step, step towards greatness in my mind. Shutouts are really tough. Uh, I, I think Stony Brook ends up – chipping a field goal in maybe it's a 50 yard or who knows what but yeah i think they'll get three points uh and i think the ducks score 44 i think this one ends up 44 to 3 in favor of the good guys okay all right he's justin hopkins i'm matt bagley and this is scoop duck and hi-fi we are still working out the finer details of the podcast transition and we talked about this last week scoop duck is on a new website 
And if you read Scoop Duck, you already know that. If you listen to the pod, you you might not know that. New website is great for, for Justin and for Joel Gunderson and Jared Denny and his crew over there. But it's still a work in progress for the podcast. You might not be able to listen to this on every outlet that you used to. I promise you in the weeks ahead, you'll be able to do that again. We'll get it everywhere again. And um, regardless, just keep listening. Share it with a Duck fan friend that you might have. And uh, I hope you're listening in the future as we do this every week. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Thanks for listening. Go Ducks. I can do this night like all day.